Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast, Film Jerks, is truly one of the most spoiler-filled film podcasts ever recorded. It contains ridiculous opinions, which under no circumstances should be listened to by anyone that has a heart condition or anyone who is easily upset by film spoilers. We urgently recommend that if you are such a person, or parent of a young and impressionable child now listening, that you skip to the end of the podcast for our ratings and live your lives free of disagreeing with overtly opinionated people. You'll live longer. Film Jerks is a group where we, as a community, pick a film to watch, then discuss like little old ladies in a book club. Only our films have decapitations and nude slumber party pillow fights. If you wish to become part of the conversation and become a film jerk, go to the Facebook group and join. Film jerks can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Smart Radio. Welcome to Film Jerks, the podcast where we talk about movies like little old ladies in a book club. Only our films have ultra-vulgar phone calls and sorority house murders. On our panel this month are two returning guest jerks. First of all, we have Carrie. Hello, Carrie. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, We also have Abby joining us as well. Hello, Abby. Hello, Paul. Nice to be here. On this episode of Film Jerks, we stab at the heart of the classic horror film, Black Christmas. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs? Remember those? Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Rated R. Black Christmas is a Canadian horror film where a group of sorority girls are being stalked by this strange man named Billy. And, of course, after Barb, played by Margot Kidder, angers Billy during one of uh, his obscene phone calls, Billy basically tells the ladies that he's going to kill them all. They eventually do get the police involved, but they're unable to stop the girls from uh, going missing or being killed. When it all ends, we're not entirely sure whether or not the killer is who we think it is. The film is directed by Bob Clark. He's the man that directed films such as Loose Cannons, Turk 182, and Baby Geniuses. His other notable credits also include, of course, Porky's and the most fearful Christmas film that I know in existence, A Christmas Story. Ho, ho, ho. When Black Christmas starts out, we get a lot of the killer's point of view. We see him kind of outside, stumbling into the sorority house, and then eventually making his way up into the attic. How effective do you think that point of view technique was? I think it was very effective. I did think it did heighten the suspense of the movie and what was going to happen next. I honestly loved it. It's really impressive for the time, for the 70s. That was not a, I mean, this was the first kind of slasher film of of its kind, especially that final scene when they're panning from from Barb in her room Mm -hmm. to 
that attic and just showing all of basically the victims. So I actually kind of liked it. When they switched off from it, I was just like, okay, what happened here? Because you were so used to having the killer's perspective. Uh, for me, it actually put me more into it because I wasn't sure whether or not I was seeing it through the killer's point of view uh, anymore. It's like, okay, so they showed a scene where, where the, you're looking through a doorway and, and you see them. It's like, okay, the killer's going to do something and nothing happens. The movie strung me along really well, especially with the, the misdirection at the end. So let's let's talk about the pacing then. Okay. It was really really interesting because you had this kind of like it like right off the bat we're getting obscene phone calls and you're heightening the tension of oh there's something is going to happen there's you know there's there's going to be a confrontation at some point and then oh now we're going to go find the little girl and yes there was humor in between to kind of balance these cre- the, the the creepiness but then you get a death. And it, I, yeah, I thought the, the pacing was really, really well done. And the fact that you got the father missing his daughter, you kind of have that empathy going. It's like, oh, there's actual consequences for, you know, missing people and they're looking and they're searching. And I thought it was really, really well done. It didn't drag along at all. It, I mean, it kept you into the movie and in the suspense of the movie in the killer's perspective. With with the phone calls kept happening, and it's like, okay, who's he going to kill next? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it does seem obvious that uh, the man had called previously because they they'd already called him the moaner, mm-hmm. and so it does seem like he's been harassing the girls for a while. And basically, in this part of the film, we get that first f- phone call, and we're introduced to this huge, huge exchange of vulgarity. There's a bunch of C bombs. Uh, thrown you get some multiple voices strange sounds including like animal piggy sounds and so what was your initial reaction to this obscene phone call if it was me i probably would have hung up the phone and probably would have got your number unlisted that honestly it was really surprising i was not expecting that amount of vulgarity in just the beginning of the movie however with you know margot kiddo's character being really drunk and you just kind of see this debauchery in the beginning oh it's just it was very unsettling and it was like oh okay this guy has obviously done this before and it's you know it's gotten to the point where it's so escalated that it's just Ooh, but I do love that Mar- or the way Margot Kidder handled it. You know, if I if I'd been hearing from this guy for you know a while, I would have probably reacted the way she did too, and just been like, oh, you know, go call the, the girls at the other house. I'm sure they'd love this, and you know, not taking it seriously. Well, it's also possible that she probably maybe even told him to call a fraternity as well. <laughs> just because, <laughs> right? <laughs> Unfortunately, it did kind of escalate the the situation, and it it leads to some leads to him getting very very angry with her. Can you have that type of conversation in a modern movie now? Can you say the c word? I think that would be a lot more difficult. I mean, that would that would obviously automatically get you an R rating and and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's the c word is really is because when I first heard him go on that tirade, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah. Pretty pink blank, and I'm like, oh my god! I I was shocked. I was honestly shocked because I was not expecting it at all. So <laughs> yeah. now this day and age, you'd probably it would probably just be the the, the p word, which, which he did drop too. He did drop the p word at the end there, and that was pretty tame. <laughs> yeah, 
when I heard it, I was thinking if the rest of the movie is going to be like this, I don't know if I wanted to watch the rest of the film to be, you know, to be honest, but that seemed to be the highest extent of it. And then as the film went on, the other conversations, it really drew me into the Billy character. And, and at this time, we didn't even know his name was Billy. We learn about who his name is on the next call. And then we find out more about Agnes. And then we find out about how he hid Agnes. And the, there, there's this mother involved. Is Billy like a, a victim of abuse? It was so captivating. And the, the really interesting thing is the voice actor had recorded the voices on his head so that oh. it would basically change the shape of his, you know, his speaking mechanism, you know, his guts. I mean, they even mention it too, where it's, they, they weren't sure if there was multiple people involved here. It almost what? sounded like, like the, uh, a demonic possession voice from like the exorcist from Linda Blair. That's, yeah. that's what it kind of reminded me of. I'm like, oh, it sounds like Linda Blair's trying, you're, you're speaking in tongues and speaking <laughs> it. It was really, really, really well done. Ah, like you're pretty pink. Bleep, bleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I, I wouldn't be able to handle that. I wouldn't be able to know. <laughs> oh, are you, Carrie? Uh, did, did it make you feel uncomfortable? It's sometimes, yes, it did. Yeah. I don't think even Deadpool, with that movie's rated R, had, <laughs> you know, had thrown out the C word. So it's one of those things. It's like, oh, in today's feminist, very, very pro-feminist society, I still don't think the C word is appropriate. All right. I'm going to sound very misogynistic here, but what about the C word is so offensive? Whoo, okay. We're going to go down this road. All right. <laughs> It is, it's the C word is like the N word for, or it, okay. to put it into, into a context, it's the it's N word for black people, C word for woman. Because it, it's the most basic basal, like just, you're, that, that's the word that's in the dirt. Ah. Like you're, you're treating it like it's less than woman is, is just a C word. Right. I agree. I think the C word belittles women and degrades women. Why isn't there an equivalent word for guys then? Because men are all have always been, you know, <laughs> above and better in society. So yeah, it's it always has been a man's world. All right. Well, very interesting. Hopefully things are changing though. They're they're starting to be ramifications and, and consequences for their actions. So that's at least that's getting a positive thing. We're starting to head down now down that direction you know so yeah uh fantastic i'm sorry i had to bring up that topic but it, it's just you know this is a rare opportunity for me to find out you know uh, about that so uh thank you yeah. for being honest and candor mm -hmm. so uh let's continue with our discussion however uh the first victim that we encounter is of course claire harrison played by lynn griffin and she's killed by basically uh, plastic over her head we didn't really get to know Claire that much because her death happened so soon at the beginning of the movie. So we didn't get to really personally connect with Claire that much before he suffocated her because of how Barb was. Barb was saying how she was a virgin and things like that kind of. I, th I thought Claire was a very just, you know, she was the, the sacrifice, the first sacrifice, basically. Flips the typecast of like the that chase girls don't get killed and mm -hmm. that usually sex and drugs equal death. 
And then we find out later when we go through her room that she's not necessarily a very chaste girl. She's got the the grandma poster flipping off or flipping off the um, <laughs> the viewer, and then yep. you've got the the wreath, which is two individuals in intercourse. So yeah, she's not she wasn't very chaste after all. So I thought she it was wasn't really as innocent as they thought, right? <laughs> I think this movie does a really good job of doing that where, uh, and it's, it's odd that this is like one of the first movies of the slasher genre and, and set up the rules. And yet it seemed like weird that everybody went the opposite direction of it. The two people that were defined as the professional virgins were the ones that were basically killed off first. You got Mrs. Mack and you got Claire both described as the professional virgin. And they're the ones that are killed first and then you get the final girl who is is the one that's basically going to have an abortion which is totally opposite of what you would think uh the the idea of the suffocation the plastic it was it wasn't something that was like an easy knife stab or like modern movies like saw and jigsaw where they have these elaborate traps no it was just a a simple and almost very intimate death uh, which I, I yeah. just enjoyed. Not that I enjoy intimate death, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I get I, I get what you mean. You you enjoyed the simplicity of the death, and that it was it 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 heightened the tension rather than just being bloody and gory for blood and gore's sake. It was a it was yeah it was you were you were drawn in. You're like oh my god, is she gonna? She's not gonna be able to. Oh, and then uh, having her sitting in that rocking chair with the bag around her head. Oh my God! Throughout just, the rest of the oh. movie, you see her that way. Yeah. I was just. Yeah. <laughs> Whew. <laughs> I mentioned this briefly that the other professional virgin uh, was the house mother named Mrs. Mac. Uh, what are your thoughts about that character? I loved her character. Mrs. Mac is the worst case of a house mother that I'd ever want in a, in a sorority house. Because holy the crap, she was, she was a closet alcoholic. We just hiding booze everywhere, and like just, just at no, not at all. It's just, just I yeah, terrible, terrible person. But it really, again, falls into that. You don't necessarily feel quite as bad when she bites it mm. because she was kind of a horrible person but I don't know I, I really really liked it I really really liked her character she was funny she was kind of deadpan and yeah when <laughs> when she when she finally met the hook that uh, it was, she it was a catchy hook it was a very catchy hook but I'm just I I think her and Barbara are a lot of like being the alcoholics, of course. Okay. Um, as far as her being the house mom, I think she just let the girls basically run the house. She didn't really control anybody in that household. Because <laughs> um, she didn't have time to because she was always drinking. You see a drastic change from Claire's death to her death. Her death was more gruesome and gory versus Claire's. It was less intimate. It was like, you know, that was yeah. the distance kill, you know? Right. You have the hook going, whee! Yep. It was the... more of a kill out of necessity rather than a kill out of, like, yeah. setting it yeah. up and getting, you know, and having that moment, that intimate moment, like, ooh, I'm going to, I'm stalking you. I'm, nope. It's like, oh, she found me. I got to kill her. 
doesn't it seem like the cat was inv- somehow involved? It's like if this was like the crow, that that was the that was the crow, right? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and uh, the the interesting thing is that you know, in in your typical movies, it's the the black cat's always the the omen of death. Actually, uh-huh. white is considered more of a death caller, and so having a white cat kind of be the you know kind of like oh they're looking for the cat and then they die i i thought that was really really cleverly done <laughs> with uh, mrs mac i also really really liked her exchange with uh mr harrison you talked about the going through the room and and she's hiding she's kind of hiding that that picture with the with the intercourse mm-hmm. the the wreath thing mm-hmm. that was hilarious and some of the things she's talking about and at first you think that oh she's this nice house lady but then again you mentioned her raging alcoholic tendencies where she's hiding booze and books and amazing stuff like that and mm-hmm. she's the the one thing that really did turn me off was the fact that she started out kind of being like the the I'm I'm the caring mother thing when she gets the prize and then behind their backs she's sitting there drinking and bitching about all the girls. That shocked me. It was like she really didn't like them as much and I imagine it's something that she just she had or she was kind of forced into and mm-hmm. it's like, well, you know, just drinking to 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 mask the pain of whatever she's dealing with. So yeah. Oh, uh, it's because of years of doing this and having all these younger women yeah, younger woman just keeping keep going, and she's just getting older, and yeah. seeing yeah, seeing all these young women go out into the world, and she's just stuck as a house mother trying to take care of these girls, <laughs> who obviously aren't yeah don't really need taking care of. Because <laughs> so. you really didn't see her really care much about the girls or care about the fact when Claire was missing. Well, it is possible, or it's possible that she might have actually honestly thought she left. Because it, there was every indication in the party that she was upset with Barb. But early. here's the thing: that yeah. she never met up with her dad, and That's she true. treated the dad like an like an absolute inconvenience. <laughs> in the very next scene, we're introduced to Jess and Peter, and Jess tells Peter her big secret. And what is that secret? She's pregnant, and yeah. she's thinking about having an abortion. After she tells Peter this, of course, Peter doesn't want the abortion. She has dreams. And in a later scene, we even get this where she is saying, hey, when I first met you, you had dreams. I had dreams. I still want to continue my dreams. Screw you for not wanting to continue yours. You're, you're, you're not going to drag me down. A lot of people, they look at this as an example of why this movie is such a misogynistic movie, that it portrays women as victims only. Peter is trying to exert his male kind of dominance over Jess's wishes. How he portrayed it in the movie, kind of, but then Jess kind of got back at him. If you remember, Peter had asked her to marry him, and she straight out said, I don't want to marry you. I guess in that respect, it kind of showed me that, hey, she was saying to him, hey, you don't control me. I control what I want to do in my life. I do, you know, I have my dreams. I will do what, I will control my dreams. My dreams might are not the same as yours. It is about toxic mass masculinity that you have to drop everything for your man that, you know, no marriage and no baby equals death. 
and that in the 70s it was really prevalent that feminism was starting to really gain strength and that women were allowed to have their own careers have their own dreams and that abortion was always an option and not having or not being a wife and a mother didn't have to define you as as, as a woman I, for the very same reasons, I actually uh, don't think the film is misogynistic because of this, those reasons. Because I looked at it as as uh, she made she did make her decisions, uh, but also there's other examples where you you had the the Margot Kidder character Barb, as she seemed like she was fully empowered with with what she wanted to do. She she didn't care about what other people thought about her and the decisions that she made. And it, it seemed like the of all the people that were making the wrong choices in the film, none of the females were making any really blatant mistakes. Other the, than alcoholism and not making really smart choices, I, I mean, there's 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 a there's a line there. I mean, I definitely I see that. they yeah. were being you know independent and strong, yeah. but I don't believe that they were making the best decisions. But that might be just a just a um, <laughs> an observation about college students, you know? <laughs> oh, that's true. Very true. <laughs> the police, on the other hand, were making a lot of mistakes, especially the sergeant. Oh my God. Is he a hilarious the, character? The fellatio <laughs> gag. Oh my God. That got me is so hard. Like, how could you not get what she's trying to just yeah? How could you fellatio really? You don't know fellatio is. He might he might not know looking at him, he might not know what fellatio is. <laughs> <laughs> and she was quite convincing. She was like you know, she she did it with a straight face. I couldn't do yeah, it. It was she, like you know, it was and, so deadpan. I'm like, yeah. I would not. Yeah, I'm sure. I imagine that scene had to be done multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Sergeant Nash. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this briefly already, but Barb is a very vulgar character. When we first really meet her, she's you know, she's giving Claire shit for being a virgin <laughs> and just. She's drinking and or she's like already drinking, and then I they're drinking in front of the kids. She's and giving wine like, to there's, it. there's yeah, there's absolutely. I mean, she has no regard for anybody but herself. So I, I mean, I, I really, I mean, she was definitely a strong character, and I, I like that if she had a strong personality. But she was a bitch. I'm gonna <laughs> say it straight out, say it. She was a bitch. You heard it here on Film Jerks first. She's a bitch. <laughs> her relationship with her mother isn't the greatest. And then when she finds out that she won't be seeing her mom for the holidays, I think it really bothers her too. Because really I think, think she wants did? to have a connection with her mother, but oh. she, she don't really have that connection. Okay. Okay. And of course, you don't. She don't really have a connection with the house mom either. Of course, except for the drinking. <laughs> I just. I still can't. I still can't get over the fact of the um, Barb saying you can't rape a townie. She wasn't taking anybody seriously, yeah. and I know she may have some. You know, I wish they could a little bit more into her backstory other than just a phone call with her mom saying that she, that they can't hang out and that kind of thing. That would have been nice to kind of at least explain why she's. She's so bitter and that kind of thing. Well, she she did have asthma, so maybe <laughs> she was oh picked on as a kid. She did not you know? know how to use that inhaler. Bring <laughs> <Doing> it wrong. <laughs> At least she didn't squirt it in her ear. Come on. 
for me, Barb, I just loved her humor. Yes, she had a she had this character, she had this personality that you're not supposed to like, but it was hard not to love her for the humor aspect. And honestly, there's a bit of me in that where it's like, well, I probably would have said something in that situation. Maybe not as much vulgarity as her, because I don't like using too much of those strong words. I would actually take like a, a death type situation and kind of laugh at it in, in many ways. Cause you know, that's why I like horror films, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, being horror type people, do you think that that makes you more like a Barb type character or less like a Barb type character? Ooh, with me, it makes me more or less of a, of less a of a Barb. Character. Okay. When something bad happens, like a death. And so I just, I don't joke about it or make humor out of the situation but that's me wow i'm i'm the opposite i i tend to put humor into it as a defense mechanism because that's how i cope i have to laugh at the situation in in fact a lot of times in in scary situations i'll point and laugh at the monster in in my in my nightmares i don't have nightmares hardly Mm. anymore because i just sit and i laugh at the monster until the monster just like you know just shrinks into nothingness because it's like that what's scarier are the things like when i dream about work <laughs> you know wow because I, I i can't there's there's certain situations at work where you can't you can't point your finger at your boss and start laughing at him because what if this is not a dream <laughs> so it's a really <laughs> scary type of situation so it's like so nightmares i can handle i can be the barb type character and and just be a little bit funnier about it and treat death. I don't know. It's just, that's again, a defense mechanism that I've, I've developed over the years. I'm very much the same way, Paul. Um, I, I take death with a grain of salt because it's, it's going to happen to everybody at Mm -hmm. some point. It's, it's an inevitability. So you kind of have to treat it with a touch of humor. I do like the Barb character, but like you, you want to hate her. Yes, she is uh, such a obviously an alcoholic, or at least you know using alcohol to escape her problems. <laughs> I don't like doing that, but I will. I will definitely deflect a little, and and yeah, treat treat death with a little bit of humor. That's why I actually I, I enjoy going to to horror films and watching movies because then it's, you know, I know it's fake. I know it's it, I know it's on the screen. When it happens in real life, it's a little bit more, yeah, you know, true. sobering. But even so, I know uh, I'm going to be going to a memorial tomorrow to honor a friend, and I think we're probably going to have ranch shots and listen to All Star um, because that's how he would have liked it. Do you think that it's scarier not to be able to see the killer? It's, it's the whole like Jaws mentality. You you don't see the shark, so it's scarier. They did that in this film where you you never you never really see that much of Billy. You see his arm and you see his eyeball, yeah. and that's about it. I think it's more scarier because it keeps you keeps the suspense because you you think you know who it is, but you're not a hundred percent. There's a scene that I love. Um, where I believe it's it's Jess and um, Billy, and he's pushing on the door, <laughs> and there's just a little tiny lock holding, you know, between him and her. 
that was the greatest tension and it, it could be Peter. It, you, I, I still had that idea of, oh my God, that's, that's Peter. He's Peter, trying to push yeah. on the door. Oh my gosh. And, and yeah, when we find out that it's not him and yeah, it, uh-huh. it really highlights the tension that there could be a stalker in your attic <laughs> and you don't know. I want to I talk about Mrs. Mac's death the, the little bit more. The, in Act 2, she's looking for Claude. She goes mm-hmm. up and then she discovers Claire in the attic. Nobody would expect so close to them and yet in an area that nobody goes to. So perfect, perfect height mm-hmm. spot. What's with the attic hook? I, I know the attic hook is supposed to be used to like bring down the, the ladder, but th- th- why did that look like it came off of like a pirate ship? <laughs> I honestly, I was like, wait, how did the hook, how did that hook get up there? That was just really, it was weird. I mean, it was a great plot device. It definitely kept the you know, the deaths moving and that kind uh-huh. of thing. But yeah, I, I honestly didn't know what it was doing up there. I was just like, why? Oh, okay, I'm just going to go with it. There's a hook and she's dead. Okay, moving on. Maybe maybe the actual, because there isn't the ramp style ladder, because it's just basically this hole in the hole, uh, in the ceiling. They might be oh, used that to lower okay. it down and then bring up cargo or something, you know? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was a converted barn or something. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the hook did seem out of kind of place for the whole the attic it definitely yeah. did it didn't really seem to fit there it's got it's got to be a cargo lifting thing because that's the only yeah. thing that makes sense right lifting something up for that to the attic to store i guess that would be the only thing i could think of <laughs> it was it was during if it was like during the time that i went to college it would have been those beams that they that we used to make the lofts because yep yep, yep. <laughs> oh <laughs> there's a search party going on and that girl when she screams i kind of missed the fact that that, that was janice because they had shown the scene through the window they shown claire and then they shown what finally happened to mrs mac and i thought my goodness this girl really has a good eyesight to be able to see across town through the window <laughs> to find <laughs> they, they found janice please redeem me and say that you thought that that's what happened in that scene too you probably don't, right? Well, we do, we do have the scene where the girls are like, oh, okay, we're going to take off because we're going to help with the search part. That, that, to me, that made more sense. But they were just trying to move this, move the, the, the plot along a little bit. T- typical horror slasher trope, divide the party. <laughs> so it makes yes, it easier. absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yep. Make it easier to kill because, oh, poor Phyllis. Uh, uh, Billy calls Jess again and uh, of course Peter re-enters the picture because hey we've we've got to we've got to make everyone think Billy is Peter Peter is Billy Mm -hmm. so the the calls coming from inside the house that's like the best thing oh my god when I when I when I realized that this was the movie that that this kind of originated from I'm like oh yes I was so excited to hear it because I was just like yeah now you know now you know (laughs) now now you know get out of the house listen to the cops Jess (laughs) it reminds me of the 1979 movie when a stranger calls this and this is the funny thing is that it is all based on some true stories about a guy that used to hide in the attics of of people's houses 
and and was was murdering them and and doing all sorts of things and the person that wrote this actually it, i think it was like more of a babysitter type story when bob got this film he essentially changed almost almost half of it he didn't want to have these kid type things involved and yeah. not a babysitter so what he decided to do was okay let's make it a sorority thing because co-eds are much more interesting type of people and, and it even changed names to, to finally become this like black christmas <laughs> also too when warner brothers got the film they loved it because they, it, it did well in the testing but they thought that the name wouldn't do well in america because at the same time there was a lot of black exploitation films going on and they thought that people would think that this was they they would get the wrong impression about what this film was oh and so th that's why they changed the name here to silent night evil night and that just didn't go over well and so they ended up having to change it back to black christmas which do, which name do you like better silent night evil night you seriously like that better mm -hmm. wow how about you abby I like Black Christmas. It definitely it. Well, when you see a bunch of you know white girls, mm -hmm. and you know it, you know it's not going to be necessarily a black exploitation film. And it puts the whole you know Happy Christmas movie ah uh, completely on its side. So, oh, I love that. I love the ju juxtaposition of like, oh, it's a happy holiday time and death. But to me, this movie kind of combined three movies that I can think of. Of course, like I was saying, when a stranger calls. Um, but also, it kind of reminded me of the 1997 movie, I Know What You Did Last Summer, because with one of the prank phone calls, he was like, I know what you did. Yep, um, and don't forget the hook. <laughs> and the hook, exactly. And then also, I kind of found like a little bit of a comical type thing with it, with the whole thing with the police being from Bedford. It kind of reminded me of, with the Christmas movie, Bedford Falls, It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> well, the the whole idea with Bedford was that okay, so uh Canadian producers knew that if they were going to go international to make more money, they would have to make their film not look like it came from Canada. Canada. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they tried to make it sound American and they make it a generic town. I think they even put up some like Amer American type flag type things just to give it that American look, even though anybody from Canada would realize that there's a lot of Canadian stuff in there, like snowmobiles, and, and I'm generalizing Canadians here. The <laughs> fact that Margot Kidder is drinking a Canadian beer in one of the scenes, <laughs> huge giveaway. <laughs> well, and there's a, uh, there's a lot of Canadian accent that kind of drips out of this movie. Yeah. Just the, 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 the way they pronounce their O's and their U's about, and yeah, you could, you could kind of tell but it tried really hard to be generically American. American. <laughs> exactly. Abby alluded to this earlier. She talked about the great juxtaposition of having Christmas and this, this murderous type of activity. And that was probably hugely epitomized in Act 3 with Barb's death. Because you basically have her sleeping there and Billy takes the... The glass unicorn, I love the glass cool. unicorn as a yep. weapon. And as she's being stabbed, you get that backdrop of the beautiful 
choir voices singing. And it's the only time that you really get to see true violence. Everything else was almost like a cutaway. You didn't get to see the violence or the blood. But in this particular case, you got to see the the glass horn, little bloody there. Uh, wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing scene? And you talked about it, the, the juxtaposition. Why don't you... Why don't you describe this scene to the to the the audience that hasn't seen this film? Oh my gosh, this this scene is absolutely well. It, the whole film builds up to it, and really <laughs> just kind of you know all the cutaways, all the you know don't really see a whole lot other than maybe Claire and her first little gasps. Mm. But everybody's being serenaded, and you know it's a, it's a happy time. It's Christmas, and then you just see this unicorn horn coming down and barbs screaming but you can't hear because there's singing going on <laughs> and it just makes this scene that much more of a payout because you're like you really feel like oh my god nobody's hearing what's going on upstairs and like oh and that unicorn oh my god so good it's just <laughs> really really well done and not not over the top but it was mm -hmm ridiculously gory like now horror movies nowadays it's like you're almost expected everybody to die this was this again had like that feeling of consequence and feeling of terror and dread that like oh my gosh she's dying and you feel bad for her even though she was a bitch <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm just so glad there wasn't a quentin tarantino blood geyser because Oh, right. That's yeah, what, exactly. But you're it right. Was, it, it was realistic. It, it felt, even though technically, I think once you've brought that horn down, it would have broken off right away. Oh, but. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it does really uh, highlight the fact that up to this point, there has been very little blood, very little violence. Uh, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Do you think it's better to not show the blood and violence? Do you think our minds are capable of doing better at it? And then also, too, watching the movies that come out nowadays, would you be able to say the same answer in that situation? I think by not showing the blood, a person can still know that what happened. Mm -hmm. But I think they could picture it in their head more gruesomely than maybe it could have been portrayed in the okay. movie. Uh, do you think that the modern audiences would be able to do that? In and the so modern day movies? No, because, no, um, they show it. They show everything. They show how the person's killed. They show all the blood, the guts, the gore, because people want uh, that. So so you do you do think people want that? Because every time that I hear it, it's just everybody, everyone says that they don't need it. But then you look at what actually does well in the box office, and it's it's movies that have that right. that heightened level. So I'm always confused by that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some people think, well, it's not necessary. But other people, even though they might not think it's necessary, they like it. Intimate deaths, to me, are a lot more, I, I hate to use this word, but enjoyable. <laughs> than, the, than your over-the-top, bloody, you know, just hmm. line them up to be killed, sheep to the slaughter. That's just personally what I like because I like be I have an imaginative mind and I'd love to be able to, you know, think of the worst things that can happen and that kind of thing. But <laughs> in the, in modern audiences, I think are so desensitized to 
blood and gore and over the topism and Quentin Tarantino style <laughs> of that they that it's expected now and because it's expected that's what we need to do i mean the saw movies have made so much it's not even it's like you know all of these people are going to die except for maybe one and <laughs> it's it's not fun it's, it it takes away all the suspense it takes it I think it it pulls you out of the experience because you know what's going to happen, and it's so predictable. I would love to go back to the subtlety era where yeah. you it's it's a mystery and you got to figure out who is the killer. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm -hmm. And not with an elaborate backstory of like, oh, it's because this guy was in the beginning in the first place. No, <laughs> that's why I, that's why I like Billy not knowing who he is. And not, you know, not really knowing who the killer is in your mind. It's like, oh, my God, it could be anybody. I could have a guy hiding in my attic right now. It, it, it heightens your own sensitivity to <laughs> scary stuff. I grew up reading short, you know, Stephen King short stories, Clive Barker short mm -hmm. stories, even though Clive mm -hmm. Barker tends to be a little bit gory. But it, the words allowed me to make the images, you know. And so it doesn't take much. You can just show me a little bit of image and then it's enough, you know? And, and uh, like you said, desensitization, that's, that's huge. It seems like everybody puts so much hot sauce on stuff. You can't <laughs> taste anything anymore. Ugh. Right. But it's to the point where that you have to do that because everybody's palate is, if you don't have it that high, they can't even taste subtlety anymore either. But there is one thing that I do enjoy about the super gory movies, and that's when you watch it with a group of people. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. This film, love to watch by myself with the lights turned out, you know, got my headphones on and watching it on, on the high-definition television type of thing. And it's, it's great. You, you, you feel it. It, it reminds me of like the Roman Colosseum and, and the, you know, oh, yeah. the Christians being led to the lions. It was, it was entertainment for the day. That that's modern, modern horror films are entertainment as opposed to what black Christmas should be is a genuine horror film and that you should be afraid of that. The call is coming from inside yes. the house. <laughs> you, once again, we get Billy calling Jesse again. Isn't it weird that Jess is the only person in the entire house that seems to answer the phone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in the call, there's this, this super, super hint that Peter might be Billy because mm -hmm. basically Billy s says something that, that was should have been only between Peter and Jess. It's that misdirection. It's like... Oh yeah, Peter. Yeah, Peter is the killer, and you're like, oh my god, it could be. And I got strung along. I'm usually the first person that figures out the end of the film, like five minutes in, and I could not figure. I legit was like, oh my gosh, yeah. You couldn't in this film because they didn't give great. you anybody. You know, right. it, it, it was it was it naughty Santa. You know, was it was it the, the <laughs> yeah could have been the Sergeant Nash? Yeah, yeah. Was it Claude the Cat? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah they, they did that they did that usually on purpose but here's the thing yeah. the 2006 remake that was made in the modern sensibility they actually show billy they actually have yeah. a character agnes in that film Yuck. and they they give him they give him this huge backstory that 
in this movie, they only talked about in the in the obscene calls. You know, that they made you guess about it. Again, it's it's that the the remake is not as was not as good, and it just wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. I just I didn't like it. I didn't like the fact that you know they gave the killer a backstory. You're kind of, I, I guess I yearn for the era or for for the time gone by, time gone by that where we actually had a little bit of mystery about who the killer was instead mm-hmm. of oh now we have to have this long elaborate backstory of who why the killer is the way he is. Sometimes <laughs> you can't figure it out. You're not supposed to figure it out. You're supposed to just have. Somebody, you know, just random killing and killing is is not. Yeah, I don't know. And it was really interesting that Andrea Martin, who played Phil, yeah, um, in the original, was in the remake. Oh yeah, that's sweet. And she was, yeah, she's actually my favorite character. Seriously? Okay, why do you like her the best? I can relate to her because I was like her when I was in college. Yeah, I was. I would be the designated driver, taking my roommate out drinking and stuff. And when ah. she's had too much to drink, I'm like, "Hey, sleep it off," you know. Ah. Even if I didn't want to go out, I still took her out. I can definitely relate to Phil. I really, I liked that um, she was like the most stable character in the house. She was the one that kind of kept everybody together and was kind of the, the mediator. She could have been a better house mother than Mrs. Mack. You guys want to add anything before we go to our break? I did want to touch on that. I thought it was very interesting throughout the entire film that uh, it was more about the incompetence of the police officers other than the search for the the, the missing kid. Uh-huh. But the, pr- or the prank that Barr played on the, the one officer, um, the fact that they, were, they weren't taking the, the prank call seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just like, oh, you're just a bunch of college girls, oh, whatever, whatever, and kind of brushed it off. And that's, I think, where I got the, the, the misogyny line um oh. and the earth that how i how i felt that like the girls were just being brushed off as though kids will be kids boys will be boys that kind of thing with the whole thing with the cops not believing them and just saying you know brushing off saying boys will be boys and stuff like that not taking things seriously until the death of the girl in the park i think they took that more seriously than they did a prank phone call or with claire missing well, I, honestly, I, I do think that they're justified because, you know, you have to have physical evidence in that case because uh, are you wasting the resources of, of the Bedford PD by by having everybody kind of go on this chase of, of, of someone that might have ran off, you know? Mm-hmm. The story left that as a plausible possibility. So I wish they wouldn't have made them so inept, <laughs> especially uh, Sergeant Nash, because... yeah. <laughs> However, nowadays, so too, you have a 24-hour period before they deem them missing, too, where with children, it's right away the Amber Alert. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, uh, the the co-eds aren't, you know, they're they're considered adults. uh, And they Mm -hmm. did, they reacted well with the kid. I mean, they they brought a search party with the kid. And and if you notice, the mother talked with the actual detective, whereas (laughs) Barb gets to talk with fellatio boy Um, (laughs) you know (laughs) so i think that made a difference and honestly i love john saxton 
a little little weird story about that is he was he was sort of offered the part and then they called him back up and said there was a mistake that they meant to give it to someone else and he was much more <gasps> of a prestigious um actor and mm -hmm. and so what ends up happening is that okay he he felt bad that he he lost the part because of a like it was a mistake but then they call him back up within like a few days and they tell him, you have the part again, but you have to come up here right away. Because what had happened was that the actor that they had gotten had just gotten uh, early onset uh, Alzheimer's. <gasps> yeah. Um, he couldn't do the part. And they felt really bad because he was the guy that they wanted to play the detective. And wow. that one of the stories that they had talked about was the fact that he was in a, they were eating at a restaurant. And afterwards... He said he was going to go to his room because he wasn't feeling well. Well, that's when they told him that he wasn't in his hotel room or he wasn't in his hotel. He was in a, a restaurant that he couldn't go to his room. And he just seemed like he was disoriented. And Aww. yeah, and it felt, they, they felt really bad. But, uh, but it, at least they were able to, to pass off the role to somebody that, you know, did a, a decent job with it. Yeah. The, he was on an airplane and within two hours of getting off the plane, he was doing his first scenes. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, let's take a small break. And when we get back, we'll have our discussion game and we'll give our final ratings on the film Black Christmas. And now we take a short break. Welcome back to Film Jerks. At Film Jerks, we like to discuss things like little old ladies in a book club. And of course, one of the best ways that book clubs allow for more discussion is through the use of discussion games. Our discussion game for tonight is called Adjectively Speaking, where we ask the panel to describe different characters or scenes in the film using a single adjective and then explain why. Uh, because I'm the host, I am going to start out the game for tonight and my adjective is <laughs> it's dickish <laughs> <laughs> for many reasons but the primary reason why i think that uh there are certain scenes in this film that i would call dickish is because i think bob clark has a thing about santa claus and he is he's just being a dick about santa claus and he's making santa claus's be dicks one of the reasons why I hate A Christmas Story is because I hate the fact that Ralphie gets kind of like nudged down the slide. Ho, ho, ho! Uh, and then in this movie, you get the young kids and you basically get the one, the fraternity guy. The little girl is so excited to see Santa, sits on his lap, and he's just basically the same Santa. 
You know, like he doesn't want to be there. Ho, ho, ho. Get off my lap. <laughs> you're, you're too young to be on my lap, if you know what I mean. Nudge, oh. nudge. Wink, wink. <laughs> he was very dickish. I mean, just kind of like, just felt like he was about to go reach for a drink and just drink it while the kid's still in his lap. <laughs> yep. And of course, Barb over there is just kind of encouraging him and not discouraging him, I guess, is the better term. Well, all of it, that that scene it just made made you realize that these 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 girls did not care one lick about what they were doing i think they might have just been doing it for community service because <laughs> but yeah their kids were just hanging out doing whatever and, and they weren't even trying they, they're drinking in front of them i'm like wow this is an awful sorority yes but the kids weren't <laughs> all that great either because the very scene before that you get claire's dad <laughs> he gets hit by a snowball no, from one of the right. kids. Um, I'll say ringing is my adjective. Okay. Uh, because the 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 last one of the last scenes in the entire film was extremely unnerving because that phone <laughs> starts ringing. Yep. And it it and it's the same tone, but it just gets louder and louder. And louder, and you're just like, he's still there. He could still. Yep. Oh my god! And it just, it brings out it. It actually made me feel a little anxious at the end of the film. Like I, I didn't think the film was over. It was really, it was a really great way to just kind of end that movie. That it was still a cliffhanger, and it almost left it open for the sequel that never actually ended, ended never up happening. Yep. <laughs> a reboot happened before the sequel did. Yeah. God, I hate reboots. All right, how about you, Carrie? My adjective would mm -hmm. be describing Claire's death. Breathtaking? Exactly. Breathless. There you breathless. go. Breathless. Oh, okay. Ooh, breathless. Yes. My, uh, my next adjective was going to be unexpectedly. Th throughout the entire film, a lot of the tropes that I'm used to were turned upside down. I had this expectation that the villain, you know, the the hero is going to win, but she doesn't. And did you think everything was unexpected? Well, I was I was impressed that, you know, this being one of the first slasher films that mm -hmm. it it really it it kept me guessing throughout the entire thing and I was fascinated by all the the by all the kills and the way that they were different and unexpected and mm -hmm. Every, yeah, everything was was new and fresh, even though it was back in 1975, which is really saying something about the the film industry nowadays. That I can go and you know walk into a you know a jigsaw or you know a a typical horror film and be like, oh, I'm gonna have a jump scare. That person's oh. gonna die. That person's gonna die. I'm gonna have another jump scare, and then we're gonna find out the villain is actually this guy, and have an elaborate backstory about why. Yes. I was captivated throughout the entire thing. I actually felt like Peter was the the villain up until the end, mm -hmm. because it really that POV yep. camera work really had you guessing. <laughs> Uh, and you threw out quite a few adjectives there, so that was excellent. <laughs> it does seem very fresh, and it does keep you off balance. The The jump scare is a wonderful tactic to use in a movie, but sometimes we overdo it. The thing that this movie does, yeah. like you leave the theater thinking about that tone and thinking mm -hmm. about, is there going to be somebody in my attic when I go home? 
right because that could be and Mm -hmm. and that to me is scary whereas a jump scare is is just a startling effect and it yeah it's terrifying while you're watching it but when you leave the theater it's done Uh, which i guess some people they they like that because they want to escape and and then they they want to go on to their lives and they don't want to be scared for the rest of the day oh true so maybe that's why they do it, and it's great. And then people are like, yeah, I'll go see the movie again because I forgot everything that happened. How about you, Carrie? Just at the end, she's sleeping. Yes. And then they, they're they taking Mr. Harrison to the hospital. Nobody stays back with Jess. So then at the end, when the phone keeps ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing, it makes you wonder, okay, did the killer kill Jess? You know what would be funny, though, is if it was the guy that was in the uh, telephone station trying to call in to say, it, you know, are, are, are you dead? You know, it would be funny if it was just him. And so here we are. We're all paranoid that thinks maybe Peter was actually still the killer. But we're, we're left with this. Oh, no, it's not. And <laughs> that would be awesome. Okay, that is enough for adjectively speaking i hope you uh, guys had uh, fun with the game tonight i did absolutely all oh right. yeah all right uh now what we're going to do is we're going to rate the films and here at film jerks we rate our films in one of three categories you can either like it meaning that uh you would watch it as if it were an angelic choir of carolers you can lump it meaning that you'd rather be stabbed by a glass unicorn horn or you might uh, maybe meaning that it would depend on whether or not you know what fellatio means (laughs) so with that i am going to start out with abby how are you going to rate this film like it it has everything that a good horror film should have Um, It has characters that you like and dislike. It has a good death right off the bat. It's got subtlety, but it's also got a little bit of gore. And it keeps you guessing all the way up until the end. Fantastic. How about you, Carrie? I agree with Abby. I actually liked it, too. I'm one that likes more of the suspenseful psychological thrillers where it keeps you guessing. Mm -hmm. So I did like it. Okay. I'm going to say lump it because I want to be stabbed by a unicorn horn, but I did like this <laughs> film. <laughs> uh, so, yes, technically I liked it, but yes, I do want to get stabbed by a unicorn horn just to feel what it's like. Uh, why don't you tell us where we can find you on the internet? On the internet, <laughs> you can find me on Facebook. Okay. As well as LinkedIn. Oh, you can find me at my blog, um, Musing Swan. WordPress.com. Um, always doing short stories and poetry. It's been a little late since my last uh, entry, but I w- you'll be seeing some stuff shortly, I promise. Sweet. I'm looking forward to that. And be sure to join us next month on Film Jerks when we examine Kinji Fukasaku's Battle Royale. I think we should actually do Mortal Kombat during that, during the podcast, where we're all fighting each other. That would be awesome. <laughs> And if you want to learn more about us, be sure to join our Facebook group. You can reach us at www.facebook.com forward slash filmjerks. 
that's all the time we have for Film Jerks this month. Remember that at Film Jerks, we might not always be jerks to the films that we discuss, but when it comes to movies, we don't jerk around. Hey, <laughs> hey.